Welcome to the Benito Juarez Experience. I am Juem Navarro Rivera. And I am Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. Today, we are going to be talking about the Democrats again. But in this time, instead of being, what would we call it, passive-aggressive, because we have been attacking them sometimes and defending them some other times in, at different points in the same conversation, uh, in this show, we're actually going to be talking about the politics that the Democrats have followed in the first six months, and I can't believe it has only been six months, of the Trump administration. And in particularly, the, the recently uh, released Better Deal proposal uh, for apparently attempting to win the, the 2018 elections. And I think this is a topic that we both of us have been talking about for a while and one that interests us for similar reasons, but I think as, as always coming from different places. I strongly agree with, yeah, I think that's a pretty strong analysis of the way that we've been looking at this so far. Um, one of the main things that both of us are very interested in talking about in this particular episode is how the Democrats are sort of doing themselves a disservice by focusing a lot of energy and not only energy, but also money on this idea that the way that they can win the 2018 elections is not by focusing on what we believe is their base, but by focusing on the voters that they perceive themselves to have lost during the 2016 election, which is the white middle class and the white lower class. Yes, and for that, we're basically going to reference three main articles that came out around the same time Uh the three articles came around the same time, and they came around the time uh, that Chuck Schumer, uh, the Senate major minority leader, and others were releasing their Better Deal uh, project or program, as they call it. And one is uh, the Democrats are trying to win the 2016, 2018 midterms in all the wrong ways, which is by Steve Phillips in The Nation. Then... Uh, there's one by Ian Haney Lopez at BillMyers.com. Bill Everything that's wrong with the Democratic reboot in one lousy op-ed. And finally, the Democratic shape is in worse shape than you thought uh, by Thomas Etzel in the New York Times. They actually talk about the same thing from different perspectives. And not surprisingly, Thomas Etzel is white, talks about how Democrats are abandoning the white working class. That's his actually shtick uh, in, this, uh, in his writing. Uh, Phillips writes, uh, and he is actually the author of a, of a recent, fairly recent book on Brown is the New Black about Democrats basically building a multiracial coalition, uh, basically talking about the fallacy of the Trump to Obama voters and, and how futile is to go and chase for them. And finally, Ian Haney Lopez, who is a professor at UC Berkeley, a professor of law at UC Berkeley, uh, talking about how, again, Democrats who have basically three quarters at least of Latinos, Asian Americans, and African Americans, and have basically 
most of the people of color and these most voters of color, the support of most voters of color are actually again abandoning them uh, for the sake of chasing votes that they probably won't get. <laughs> so I think that a good place to start would be what to start with the one on Bill Moyers by Ian Haney Lopez. Everything that's wrong with the Democratic reboot and one lousy op-ed and reboot is in quotation marks, which I think is neat and foreshadows a lot about what the article talks about. Um, the article talks, the article starts off by listing four. The article's main premise rests on four crucial points that it ties together, that Ian ties together by using it to sort of rip into the Democratic Party. I think it's a very interesting article. The four main points that it has are, number one, uh, the Democrats are a party of swamp creatures. Number two, a party on a new marketing kick. Number three, a party afraid of equality. And number four, a boring party with limited ambitions. I wrote an article earlier in this week where I focused a lot on number four, inadvertently. I hadn't actually read this article at that time when I was doing the research for the article that I wrote. And in the article that I wrote, I talked about, I, I gutted the Democrats for being willing to effectively surrender the fight when it comes to uh, matters of reproductive justice. And... The fourth point in the article by Mr. Lopez is that it's a boring party with limited ambitions. And I really like this point because the article itself, when it comes to this point, starts talking about the small policy changes that would help the working people. But then it says that there aren't specifics on when it comes to larger overarching policies. And Ian Lopez actually says that the party... Um, <coughs> The Democrats themselves sort of lack the power to do this. And the thing that I thought was very interesting about this article and this specific section was that it's it's neat to me to see someone else and effectively antagonize the Democrats for not being aggressive enough, because that's what it amounts to. When it comes when the Democrats make themselves out to be this party that's limited in its scope and limited not only in its ability to do something, but even in its desires, it's indicative of the fact that Democrats are, at least some of the Democrats are effectively giving up, which is really sad to me. Yeah, I think you're right in that assessment. I, what I liked about the article is that you know the four points that he outlines that you that you already mentioned are are a very good analysis of what's going wrong with the party in the sense that for example when talking about a party swamp creatures the fact is that the party has been dependent on wall street money in particular now with a, now a, a large base of their like large donor base also is coming to to some extent from Silicon Valley, and well, after this, we are doing this show in the same week that what it's called Google Gate now Memo Gate uh, came up. Uh, so we know that certainly there's a large segment of Silicon Valley who is not that is not very friendly to 
issues of equality, diversity, and inclusion. <laughs> so this is not, you know, you, you are seeing a party that if its agenda is being set by these set of donors, then it's certainly not going to be very responsive to the needs of the people that need it most and the people that the party claims to be serving. Uh, and then at the same time, the second point, which is a party on a new marketing kick, it actually doesn't do much, right? Like calling it the new, what it's, oh no, the new the deal was in the better. 1930s. Yeah, it's uh, the better deal. The better deal, like it, it actually is not changing anything, all, only using slogans, which is, I guess, fine. Uh if what you want is to change messaging, but not actually do anything substantive. That relates to um, what you were talking about earlier, Google gate. I actually hadn't heard anyone call it that, but that relates to the third point in a really important way, because the third point talks about um, what Mr. Lopez says is a party afraid of equality. And I think that's a really neat thing because uh, All, both of the other articles talk about the fact that the Democrats are moving away from what those authors at least hint is the true base of the Democratic Party, which are people of color, people of different religions, women, people who are um, not physically able-bodied. And the fact that people and the fact that people in those populations, such as you and me, feel that the Democratic Party are, are moving away from us, is very worrying, especially because lots of people seem to think that the idea that the white middle class makes up the Democratic Party's base is an idea that's based off of, let's call it inconclusive data. Or, I, I don't even think it's about inconclusive data. It's It's basically living off the fantasy that the Democratic Party is still the New Deal Democratic Party, right? The New Deal Democratic Party that rise up in the 1930s after probably three decades of mostly Republican control of national politics in the late 1890s up to the 1920s, uh, late 1920s, the Great Depression, uh, was a party that was built on... You know, basic, basically, and actually, there was a very good article in the Nation uh, this week that uh, I will link in the, but it's not related to what we're discussing, but about the rise of the democratic socialists uh, in in recent years, uh, the democratic so the organization of the democratic socialists of America, and basically, you know, that that was kind of like the old base, like it was the labor. Uh, labor unions were kind of like that old uh, backbone of that democratic coalition, and it was a, a split party in terms of civil rights with the southern wing, certainly more reactionary than its northern wing. Uh, African-American political leaders that were emerging at the time were uh, in the northern cities, and they were becoming, you know, they were joining the Democratic Party Uh, in those places, and it was a party of immigrants, I mean, mostly Jewish and European immigrants at the time. And the Democratic Party still thinks that fantasy, but, you know, they keep thinking that they were going to regain the Reagan Democrats 
uh, and the Reagan Democrats, for those of all, uh, well, I'm partially not old enough because I was a child when that happened. But for those of you who do, who weren't born, uh, like my dear co-host here, uh, the Dem- the Reagan Democrats were basically these kind of like working class Democrats that were uh, attracted by Ronald Reagan's conservatism uh, rhetoric on law and order, uh, and and his. You know uh, he, he's anti-government uh, spending uh, policies, and so there are two things about that. One that I've been saying for years to anyone who can listen, which is that it, the Reagan Democrats are at this point, after almost forty years since Ronald Reagan became president, either Republicans or dead. So there's no Reagan Democrats to regain at this point in time. And second, that the core of the working class, it's now, to a large extent, black and Latino. Uh, And so when you're trying to attract working class support, and you say, like, they have had the most of the working class supporting them so far. Uh... And they have failed miserably. And now they're moving toward trying to bring a group that hasn't been with them in at least two generations just for and, and abandoning the voters that they already have. One of the key points of the article, I know, I know the article, as you've described it so far, sounds very negative, but it's actually not. The last three paragraphs are called for a more aggressive, a bolder, and a more decisive Democratic Party than we're currently seeing. That's something that I myself as a Democrat and I myself as a progressive want to see. I want to see a Democratic Party that recognizes the true color of its base. And that color is, I feel like calling that color any single color, or even calling it not white is a little bit risky because there are people all over this country of all different skin colors, of all different religions, of all different genders who support the Democratic Party. There's a reason the Democratic Party won the popular vote by over 3 million during the last presidential election. And I feel like people are forgetting that. And that's complicating conversations about this and even conversations about the better deal in ways that it probably shouldn't be. But what I want to see and what it appears Mr. Lopez wants to see, Professor Lopez wants to see, is a more decisive Democratic Party that's not afraid to recognize its supporters and to be willing to be as bold as Democrats probably once were in the past. Yes. So I think that's a good way to end this part of the discussion. Which actually we're halfway through the show, so that's great. Uh, and because the other two articles that we're going to be discussing, the Edsel piece and the Phillips piece, are actually, to a large extent, the Phillips piece is a response to Edsel, because he actually quotes Edsel's uh, op-ed at length. So the Edsel piece is actually talking a lot about the Trump to uh, the, sorry, yeah, the Obama to Trump voters. 
right? That well, there was a decline in people of color voting for Obama, uh, for Clinton, uh, and that basically a lot of necessarily not that people of color went to Trump, but they probably stayed home, uh, and also the fact that a lot of supposedly white working class people ended up voting who ostensibly voted for Obama in 2012, ended up voting for Trump in 2016, and thus keeps alive this mythology that you know the Trump victory and the Trump uh, support among his mostly uh, white base was uh, about economic anxiety. And... Uh, we are also recording the same week as the Charlottesville events unfolded. Actually, the night of the Charlottesville the Charlottesville events unfolded, and if you saw that rally, there was nothing about economic anxiety in there. So I think that's certainly something that has been uh, uh, refuted at length, but. You know, there's that that myth is still going on of these tr- Obama to Trump voters uh, that, although Professor Lopez Don mentioned, has become a f- laser focus of the Democratic strategy. La- right? Like, why do we love? Why did we? They lost them, uh, and whether they can get them back, and of course that. That is the core, the the core argument of Philip's piece, which is kind of like a response to all these arguments, but in particular length, with uh, it focuses on the Etzel piece, in which he argues that the math is really hazy, that especially with voter turnout being lower, with no candidate actually getting a majority, because even with uh, Trump won the majority of the electoral college. But actually, even Clinton, who won the popular vote, uh, she actually didn't win a majority of it. And so, how come with lower turnout and no actual majority in the popular vote, you can actually have ostensibly so many voters, some estimates give some about 7 million Obama to Trump voters, that, that actually doesn't make any mathematical sense. And I, I haven't explored that subject at length, and I actually paid much attention to me to it. I actually think it's, uh, as my English friend will say, rubbish. Uh, but among certain segments of of the left, of of Democrats and and some progressives, it actually it it actually is a de- is a big deal. And I wonder, what do you think about these these? Uh, whole discussion that I think has abated a little bit uh, between the election election day and today, but uh, to some extent, the whole better deal shtick of the Democrats have actually revived it of all these Obama to Trump voters. I don't think that the Obama to Trump voters are going to care about the better deal. And this article illustrates this article illustrates why um, the Ed Sol piece explicitly talks about the fact that many of the people who went from Obama to Trump 
voted for Trump, at least partially because they felt that the Democrats cared more about the wealthy than they did the poor. And I don't know, perhaps you have a different opinion on this issue than I do, but I don't, I don't see how someone can come to that conclusion. I have to wonder if it's a difference in media consumption, because to me, there's absolute, like, I don't know if it's my understanding of politics. I have a feeling that it is, but I don't understand how people can pay attention to politics in this country and come to the conclusion that the Democrats are more concerned about the wealthy than the Republicans are, or that the Democrats care about the wealthy and the Republican policies would either favor both the wealthy and the poor or just the poor. I think I have an answer for you. So, I, I, it goes back to what I was saying about the, uh, you know, the comment that Professor Lopez said of Democrats being the party of the swamp. And to a large extent, if you hear a lot about, and especially during the campaign where the transcripts, everybody was asking for the Hillary Clinton speech transcripts to mostly Wall Street companies or Wall Street firms, when when we talk, when, even you know the mainstream discussion of money politics uh, or the the basis, the, the money basis of both political parties. Are to a large extent Wall Street. It's it's actually in bed with both parties, uh, but it has become more a focal point among the Democrats, uh, as Democrats are being courting uh, Wall Street money for at least thirty years now, uh, and then they have the the new the new source of wealth, uh, all these tech wealth, as being leaning. Uh, hardly, uh, very hard toward the Democratic Party more than they have toward the Republican Party. You still have like people like Peter Thiel uh, of PayPal who bankrolled the uh, Hulk Hogan lawsuit against Gawker and who is, uh, it was an early Trump supporter. And But for the most part, the, the industries that are behind a lot of the Republicans or the most visible industries behind the Republicans are the uh, fossil fuel industry. So you have the coal and the oil companies. And so the the type of people employed by those companies are very different. And so you can frame that Democrats are the party of the wealthy because they have these banker and software engineer kind of base that you can paint as elitist. While you can say at the same time that, you know, the Republicans care about coal miners and people who work in oil refineries. And so that make it sound, to, especially to someone who's only listening to Rush and Fox News and uh, whatever new alt-reality website is out there, that, you know, working people are actually more more benefits benefit more from the republican policies that are going to end the war on coal and are going to end the war on oil that almost makes it sound like it's coming down to a sort of transition like i'm trying to think of the right way to frame this but the way that that makes it sound is it's almost as coming down to this conflict between old money and new money 
And it's interesting, given that old money seems to have won this round of the conflict with the election of Donald Trump. And after hearing someone explain it so clearly, it makes a lot of sense. I can see that. But I guess it's just because the way the media that I've listened to has always been either in the center or to the left. And it's always talked about like tax cuts for the rich and lots of the old money concerns being for being from the Republican Party. So then when I when I was reading the article by Ed Sal that talked about how people considered at least some of the Obama to Trump voters talked about the way they saw Democrats supporting the rich people. I kind of get that now. It just, it seemed weird to me at first thinking about it from the way that I've always considered politics and media. That's a problem when you only listen to fake news, uh, Luciano. The fakest. I take pride and in, in going all in fake news. Yeah, no, but but all joking aside, it, it there's there's that. I, I I mean that's my interpretation of uh, of you know how you can see that Obama, you know that the Democrats are are in favor of the of the wealthy, while the Democrat the Republicans are in favor of of the working class, but also. And this is why it doesn't doesn't resonate with me that argument of you know this Obama to, to Trump voters is because like Obama never won coal country, uh, so it's it, uh, it which was the most important aspect of of the campaign like talking about coal miner jobs. Uh, so Obama never won coal country. I mean the Democrats haven't won that in a presidential election in a while, uh, and. And then, of course, you have like the Midwest, where where the states that ended up flipping in in Trump's favor, like those were the places where the auto industry was bailed out by the Democrats. So, which was probably the, the main industry or the you know, the most uh, uh, well known industry in that area. So. You know, again, like you need to have a certain level of blinders to to, to see it in this way. But also, I don't want to exonerate the Democrats for, uh, you know, that uh, a lot of their policies are still window dressing on the worst aspect of neoliberalism and so i don't think to a large extent they even even when they are probably friendlier to working families uh they basically are window dressing in the sense that you know they seem to be solving issues but they don't really solve the underlying inequality in the system I think that the point you made about the auto industry, the, from my perspective, that would have been, that would probably would have made things even more confusing, because the way that I viewed the auto industry bailout was the realization that comes from looking at this from a distance, where it's just like bailing out the auto industry probably helped keep jobs in the area. So to me, like listening to that and then thinking about how that affects how the Democrats 
view the wealthy and view the poor, that probably would have been something that at the very least to me would have been like, oh, the Democrats care about keeping jobs in the country and they don't want and just they don't want entire companies to just go bankrupt and have to declare bankruptcy and potentially leave the country and leave tens of thousands of people unemployed. But I don't know if that's either from naivety or if it's just from being distanced from this rather than seeing its effects viscerally up close like I would have if I had been living in the Midwest during this time. Oh, well. So we have we have a couple of minutes in this discussion. Do you want to have any last words? I think that the Democrats, I'm worried about my party because I am a registered Democrat. I am working in my area to build a Hispanic caucus. I'm worried about the fact that a lot of the things that I see are focused on this idea that there are either white voters to get back from the Republicans or that it's worth taking the time to get those white voters to go out and vote for the Democrats, as opposed to instead exciting and energizing either a new base or the base of the future for the Democratic Party. I'm kind of concerned that at this point, at least some of the Democrats I know, both in real life and on social media, are focused on this idea that the white voters who left for Trump deserve more of the Democratic Party's time and resources than the minority voters who could be swayed to vote for the Democrats. And I have my concerns about the future of this party in the years to come. Yes, I, I, I agree with that. I think the larger problem, so I think there are two things. One is that there's the party and then there's the different coalitions that form that party and at some times those coalitions are you know those different groups that form those that the you know the party are at odds with each other but i think right now the main problem with the party it's to some extent the leadership in terms of elected officials you know they're they're used to win elections in some ways And those ways are not necessarily the ways in which the elections of the future are going to be won. Uh, they're going to need some different coalitions or the different shuffling of those coalitions and shift the priorities in terms of the policies that they highlight. But I think there's a larger problem, and these come from the... Uh, not necessarily something that Etzel said in his piece, but where he got his information for a lot of the piece was a survey by uh, Hard Research and Global Strategy Group. And a lot of, and, and to me, that is the larger problem. I think the Democrats are used to win elections in some ways and are used to get certain type of advice. And that the The campaign industrial complex within the Democratic Party is out of ideas. They're hacks and they need to change. They need to start getting ideas from somewhere else. 
uh, because the same crop of advisors is actually just ruining the party. So for today's question, as we close out this episode of the podcast, I want to ask our viewers, how do you think the Democratic future, future Democratic campaign organizers should focus their time and energy? Do you think that they should encourage the people that they are representing, the people that they are assisting, to focus their time and energy on trying to win back this not necessarily mythical white working class voter who may or may not have supported Obama and may or may not have supported Hillary Clinton? Do you think that they should focus their time and energy on trying to win back those voters or trying to get them to vote for them in the first place? Or do you think that they should instead focus on the other theoretical base, the base of people of color, of educated individuals, of possibly secular individuals that almost certainly exists within the Democratic Party? Well, and with that question, that's it for tonight. Thank you for listening. Remember, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the podcast, review the podcast, and we'll be here next week. This was Juan Navarro Rivera. And Luciano Gonzalez.